Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Is this not the weirdest year ever, though? I mean, first the Cubs win the World Series. What in the world? I mean, how does that happen? I mean, that's crazy. And, and then we elected Donald J. Trump as our president-elect. And I, I, I'm, I just don't mind telling you, I just didn't, I just didn't think it could happen. And, and it was so much fun trying to watch pollsters figure out how to walk backwards in the middle of the week. It was just, it was worth it to watch them just not have anything to say, you know? And then I, to see the riots, I, I saw this one young dude with a baseball bat. And he literally was beating up with his baseball bat a newspaper dispenser. I did everything I could. I'm a preacher. I can put stuff together. I didn't get how Hillary not winning and beating up a newspaper thing fit in, but bless his heart, he was just banging on that newspaper thing, man. I thought, dude needed something to do. I've looked at all this and I think, what well, this is just an amazing year. I mean, Atlanta is, we're winning NFL football games. There's something wrong here. I mean, seriously. And, and then, of course, you know, some things stay the same. You know, the dogs beat Al- Auburn, and that's good. You know, I mean, it's... Sorry, buddy. I know, I was praying for you back there. I saw you couldn't even worship this morning because it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I hate it when that happens. But, you know, I think a church like ours has to... We have to be on point for something. There's got to be a purpose and a rhyme and a reason. I mean, do you guys realize that this morning there will be 300 churches in America that will close her doors after that service forever? 300 churches every week in America will close their doors and they'll never minister to anybody again. 300 a week. I mean, that is fascinating to me. So I thought I would start digging into what are the causes of churches that die in this society. And inevitably, it comes down to this. Show me a church that doesn't change, I'll show you a church that's going to die. Now, at times, we, we get bent out of shape with that church uh, because every generation has their own way in which they kind of do church, right? Like my dad, who uh, I guess today would have been 80, uh, or this July, I mean, he would have been like 85. And, uh, and my dad would have almost a stroke with our music. Dad would be like, Chuck, seriously, come on, you know? But my dad last week when he saw 450 or 60 uh, family members and players from Linear High School here and almost 20 kids saved, he said, man, that's awesome, right? I mean, every generation's got their deal. Think about this. If you are under 50 right now, raise your hand. If you're under 50, okay, so that's the majority of you. So under 50, you realize that 20 years from now, if you're still alive and still at this church, there'll be some young punk preacher who's going to have a whole new way of doing church, and he's going to hire his version of Hector, and they're going to have a whole new way of doing music, and we're all going to sit back there and go, I can't believe they do that. <laughs> and that dude's going to wear some kind of funky deal, and you know what we're going to say? I can't believe he doesn't wear jeans preaching. <laughs> Don't you know it's coming? Seriously. Can you not wait till you're like 80 and you can say that with conviction? Seriously? Don't you? I mean, I cannot wait. Whoever the guy is that replaces me, like, you know, I'm hoping I'm here for a long time, but whoever that guy is, I cannot wait to wake up to him and say, man, music, seriously? You couldn't have more drums? (laughs) 
Well, isn't that going to be awesome? Yeah. But, you know, churches have to have a reason for which they exist. Uh, I believe our church is pretty clear on why we exist, but maybe not. So I, I want to make sure that today we talk about that. Now, you're going to think today's talk is about money, but it's really not. Well, yeah, it really is. But I'm trying to make it not sound like money. I told Jenny last night, I said, you know, I just, I hate the money talk. I really do. I just, I just hate the money talk. So, I, so I've decided we're not going to really do a money talk. Uh, I want to tell you why I think our church exists. And that way, you wouldn't feel at all like I have tried to manipulate you or tried to guilt you into giving, okay? And, and I want to put this out front. If, if you sense at any time that this pastor or this church is trying to manipulate you or guilt you into giving, you have full and total permission to just blow us off and keep your money, okay? Because I, I promise you that's not what it's about, all right? I believe Jesus came and he decided that everything, every decision, every purpose, rhyme, and reason in our individual lives in the church is about our heart. It's not another rule. It's about our heart. And so if a heart isn't motivated out of love to give, do not give. All right? Now, you could say, well, Chuck, we need the money. Yeah, of course we do. We're about $100,000 off budget. The good news is we're underspending budget as well. It's great that we're managing our resources, and Benj does a great job with that. I think that's awesome. But the sad thing about that is the amount of mission and ministry and things we don't do because we can't. And so I would just say, we're one of those churches, we don't have, we don't have any sugar daddy families in the church that fund 50% of what we do. We just got a bunch of normal folks that give, right? And I'm kind of grateful for that because there's nobody out there with money that tries to manipulate or drive the church. And I think that's fun because I've seen it happen and it's ugly. But I think there's three things for a church like ours to be able to succeed wildly in a culture that we have today. Number one, it takes a passionate and compassionate heart for our community. It takes a passionate heart and a compassionate heart for our community. You realize in our community, we have two Title I schools. You realize that the kind of easy answer to why that is, is 70 plus percent of those kids, their family can't afford to feed them breakfast or lunch, so the school system does. And realizing that in our city, we have those two schools, and we have a significant degree of poverty in our city. I believe one of the reasons we are here is to serve and care for those families and those, those, those students. I believe we have a passionate and compassionate heart to serve our community. Had a, a church member a week or two ago sent me a, uh, sent me a, a voicemail that had a link in it to a well-known uh, uh, pastor in Southern California, and, and the church member said, listen, especially to this segment. And so I listened to it intently, and what he said was, listen, pastor, he's preaching to a group of pastors. He's saying, pastor, listen, your job is not to try to make your community a better place. Your job is to feed your, your flock. Well, let me just stop and say, with all due respect to this wonderful man, he's wrong. You can't throw away the first third of the Great Commission and just come here and Bible study after Bible study after Bible study and to not change your heart and your mind and your soul to the degree that you don't want to go out there and make our community better. Because if all we're going to do is huddle up and do Bible studies, let's sell the property, let's disperse these funds to somebody else, let's all go meet in houses and talk about how we're not going to do anything in the world. Because I think it's, it's a crime for churches to not get involved in their community, and I believe it's sinful for Christians not to care about people in their Jerusalem. And you might say, well, Chuck, that's pretty hard. I believe it's the truth. 
I believe it takes a passionate and compassionate heart for our community. I believe it takes some intentionality in building meaningful relationships with our partners. We ought not spend money on administrative tasks to serve and care for people. That's why we partner with CLI, Christian uh, Libraries International. That's why we partner with 11 different schools. That's why we partner with the PATH Project. That's why we partner with Convoy of Hope. That's, I could go on and on and on. Kids Hope USA, Lyft, I could just keep going. But what we're about is to make sure that we're building relationships in our community that know that when we have a need, people call here, that we are a first responder. Did you know that when there's a family in crisis in any of those 11 schools, those counselors call Susan Roebuck on our staff as the first responder for those families? Do you know when a kid gets in trouble that's a ball player at, at, at Lanier High School, you know who that mom calls first? Trip Atkinson, our student pastor. Do you know how many churches would die to be able to have the opportunity to minister and care for 11 schools in their community? I would just stop and say that's because they're our partner. They're not just a mission field. They're our partner. We're trying to make this community a better place for the cause of Christ. I look at that and I say, and the third thing, it needs a funding mechanism that allows all things to happen. It takes, it takes the people of God that hear and answer God as he gives us wisdom and direction on what we're to do and how we're to do it. I mean, we're in a, a season of cultural malaise when it comes to the church. I mean, really, we, we're in a season where it's just like, okay, the church doesn't really have a relevant or significant spot in my life. And that's kind of across the board, across all evangelical churches, across all denominations, across the country. But I'm so grateful here at this church, we haven't made the denomination an issue. We, what we've said is Jesus is the biggest deal. Let's keep everything there. He is still the head of this church. They get to call me pastor and they get to call you member. But listen, he's the head of the church, not me, not you. He is. And when you look at that, you say, listen, if that's the case, then the church has to continually find a way to let the world know we love them. Styles of music are going to change. Pastors are going to come and go. Deacons are going to come and go. Members are going to come and go. But at the end of the deal, you know what the, pro you know what the process really says to you and I? It's our job to love and serve people. So Tuesday, we're a polling place, and people vote in the dining room, fellowship hall area, kind of across the courtyard there. And uh, a lady was in line to vote, and she picked up some of our so stuff, reading about the church, and then she opened up the website on her phone, was reading through our website, and she sends an email to info at Sugar Hill Church, and those go to Beth, my assistant, and Beth forwarded it to me, and uh, she, she says, thank, but it looks like your church doing a wonderful job, what a nice place, cool people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the very bottom, it says, are you gay and lesbian friendly, question mark. Like, if you were Beth, wouldn't you send me that one? <laughs> really? This 131-year-old Baptist church that we're trying to forget, and yet at the same time, what do you do with that? You know what I said? Of course you're welcome here. Please, come on. I can't wait to put a face with a name. Please come to church at Sugar Hill Church. You know what she replied? Really? Question mark. Really? Two question marks. Really? Three question marks. So I, I replied, yes. Yes, yes. And I said to her, listen, I believe we're going to let God do the judging and Jesus do the forgiving, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit of God do the convicting, which only leaves two jobs for us. We're going to love people and serve people because that is what the church is here to do. Now, if you're here today and you wrote me those emails, welcome home to Sugar Hill Church. Now, for those of you who are sitting here thinking, I cannot believe my pastor just said that. 
I did, and I meant it. And I meant every word of it. You see, I don't believe by loving people and serving people, you're condoning whatever it is that their deal is. But I believe if you'll help people figure out how to make Jesus the biggest deal in their life and put Jesus in the right priority in their life, they will get everything else right. And I realize, listen, those, those of you that are, that are theologues in here and you're, you're struggling with that statement, I get it. But I'm telling you, when I hear Jesus say all the law of the prophets hang underneath this, this one statement, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and we're to love other people as we love ourselves and everything else hangs underneath that. That leaves plenty of room for us to learn how to love people that we don't understand, that we don't get, that we don't know, and we need to. And I would say as a church, we have got to grow up. In Matthew chapter 28, listen to what Jesus said. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, I got the whole deal. I got the full meal deal. I got all authority, heaven and earth. And then he uses that word, he says, therefore. Now, therefore is there to ask us what that therefore is there for. And that therefore is there to say everything I just said is therefore to be used for what I'm about to tell you to do. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. Now, what is that? A disciple is somebody who chooses to follow Jesus. You say, well, Chuck, what does that really entail? Okay, now watch this. It doesn't entail walking an aisle. It doesn't entail having to cry your blubber your eyes out down here and have a show. What it, what it entails is this, is someone who says, Jesus, I, I need you to forgive me. I made a mess of my life. I realize my sin is what caused you to give your life for me. And thank you for dying for me, raising from the dead for me. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Come into my life and clean me up and make me new. And you say, well, Chuck, that's all there is to it? Yep. That's exactly right. You say, well, wait a minute. What's the rest of the statement? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? Well, bab baptism does exactly what it means. So once you become a follower of Jesus, then you choose to be baptized. And what you're doing when you do that is you represent Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. And you do that because your heart says, I want to be obedient to Christ who said, once I become a disciple, then I'm going to be baptized. And then it says, oh, and then teach them all these things that I've commanded you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You say, well, Chuck, okay, I get all that. So we're supposed to do that. But how do we accomplish that task by filling backpacks? How do we accomplish that task by feeding hungry kids in Haiti? How do we, how do, we do all that? All right. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 34. It's pretty doggone clear here. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, my father has blessed you. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the people who have God's approval will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and take you into our homes or see you in need of clothes and give you something to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, I can guarantee this truth. Whatever you did for one of my brothers or sisters, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you did it for me. So you know what that tells me? Every time Lift Ministry is helping a young teenager who's pregnant, we are doing that in the name of Jesus. Every time we fill a backpack full of food for a hungry family, we do it in the name of Jesus. Every time we sit and help mentor a kid, we do it in the name of Jesus. Everything we do focuses on this one thing, that we might point our feet toward Jesus and run as fast as we can and bring as many people as we can along with us. 
You see, this is what the church is here to do. But there's no gray in that statement. But some of you are still saying, yeah, but Chuck, not me. That's not for me. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to care for people. I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to, it's, it's not for me. Maybe it's not the right church for you. Because I, I, I got to tell you guys, I, I, I do not believe it is possible. I, I do not believe it's possible that you can say yes to Jesus and receive his gift of God's spirit in your life and turn him loose in your life to lead and direct and not have a broken heart to help people in need. I believe it's impossible. If you've been coming to church for 50 years, but you've never done one blessed thing to help any person, here's what I ask you. Are you sure you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yeah, well, Chuck, I just, I need more. Okay, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 10. If you give some of your own food to feed those who are hungry and to satisfy the needs of those who are humble, then your light will rise in the dark and your darkness will become as bright as the noonday sun. The light that shines furthest is the light that shines brightest. May our church never, ever, ever, ever stop shining a light to try to lead people into a relationship with Christ and meet their needs physically because we love them. And may we never be the church that meets in here for Bible study after Bible study to never go out there to do anything with it. This is what we're called to do. Yeah, but Chuck, I mean, you know, can you get a little more specific? Okay. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, what did I say a minute ago? I don't believe it's possible for you to be a follower of Jesus and not have a compassionate or passionate heart to serve those in need. You say, well, but, but Chuck, no, you said it was impossible that the Holy Spirit wouldn't do that in your life. Right. And listen to this. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. When does the Holy Spirit come on you? When you surrender and give your life to Christ. Now, you could say, well, Chuck, wait a minute. I'm waiting for when that happens, that we're going to do Cirque Soleil across the ceiling in this building, and you're going to lay me out by slapping me on the forehead, and we're going to scream all type of weird stuff, and that's when it's going to happen. If you're waiting on that, you are in for a great disappointment. Listen, God doesn't need us to swing from trapeze. God doesn't need me to knock somebody in the head. When you say yes to Jesus, you say, Jesus, I know you, thank you for dying for me, for being buried for me, for raising from the dead for me, that 40 days later you went to heaven to sit by the Father, and you're going to receive all those who trust and follow you, and gonna, you're going to create a home for them, I'm in. And when I do that, immediately Jesus is giving me the presence and the power of the Spirit of God within my life, and it's my job to let him direct me. Oh, but listen to the rest of it. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now watch this. He made a point of saying this in Jerusalem about Jerusalem. If, we were, if Jesus were here today giving us Acts 1-8 direction for our church, it would read just like this. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Sugar Hill and Swanee and Buford and coming throughout Judea, across Georgia, across America, and probably even into Tuscaloosa. And so when that looks there, that is one of those weird translations. I don't know where it came from. Never trust those translations, man. They'll get you every time. Thousands upon thousands of students attend the 11 schools that we serve day after day. Doesn't that sound like Jerusalem to you? It does to me too.
hundreds of thousands of books you've given to Christian Library International, and they're literally using those to lead prisoners to Christ. Dozens of you are, are mentoring children in the afternoons. You're showing up to help teenage moms with Lyft. You're, you're, you're entering in a new partnership with Convoy of Hope to help with disaster relief and to minister to children and families in the Dominican. We're continuing to feed these poor children in Haiti, which just, they're counting on us. Every time I talk with Diane, what I hear from her is a passion. But the passion I hear from her is that those children are counting on us. They're not counting on the good old U.S. of A. They're counting on Sugar Hill Church. Our budget is about 2.8 or so, I think. We're about $100,000 under budget. We've managed to expenses, and I think oh, that's great. But it breaks my heart the amount of ministry and the amount of mission we cannot do or be able to care for our staff appropriately like we should simply because we're not meeting a, a, a terribly realistic budget. It comes with a severe price. I want to ask you in, the, in, in these last weeks of the year, seven counting today, that our church might step up and we might give $550,000 to the mission and the ministry of the church we've been called to be. And you say, well, Chuck, can we really do that? Sounds like a big number. Last year was almost 600. The year before, almost 700. I've taken it down just because we, we, I, I'm struggling because I don't understand why we're not ahead of money from a year ago. I'm, just, I'm baffled by it. We're doing more mission and more mission work than we've ever done in our life. On average, I think we give about fifty-three dollars or $54,000 a week. It takes about fifty-seven five, I think, to meet budget. To, to give that kind of money in the last part of this, we've we got to give about $72,000 a week over the last six, seven weeks. I just can't imagine why we wouldn't do that. I, I can't imagine that you'd look at the ministry and the life of this church and you say, man, let's, we, let's jump on board. Let's do all that we can do. This is crazy. Let's wrap this thing up. Let's make it happen. When we're part of this, we're fulfilling the purpose God has for a church. You see, you are image bearers of the Most High God. You are a part of God's creation. He looked at you and made you in his image, and nobody's more generous than God. God said, wait a minute. He looked down at us and said, for God so loved you that he gave, that he gave his son. How generous is God? He gave everything he had. He looked at all of our sin. He looked at all of our selfishness, and he said, I still, I'm here for you. In 1 John 3, 1, the scripture says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love it when we fulfill the purpose God has for our church. I love it when, when we make God smile in our, in our obedience and our giving and our, our gratitude. I love it when we give and we put ourselves in a position for blessing. I love it when we get to live Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. Now, you may not understand it, and I'm not sure I'll understand it, but listen to what Romans 8.32 says. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Now, there's a perspective that what the church is here to do is to give away as much as we possibly can to serve as many people as we possibly can for the sake of Christ. But here's the, here's the catch. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You see, Jesus is not looking for you to give what you don't want to give. He's asking you to give what he's asked you to give. 
Scripture makes a big deal about this one text. Over in Mark chapter 12, beginning verse 41, here's Jesus, and they're in the temple, and they're bringing their gifts. Now, when you brought gifts in the temple, it was different. We pass soft baskets so nobody can judge you by what you put in or don't put in. Half of our revenues come from online or through the app, so, you know, nobody's looking at you going, ooh, you know. But in that day, man, you, you walked forward and they had these big brass urns and you would drop your offering into it. And if you were wealthy, it made a big noise. And when you heard a really big noise, people were like, whoa, that guy needs to join our church, man. That, whoa. And, th- and then listen to what happens. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. And many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, gave everything she had to live on. Jesus brought his guys over and he said, look, look here. She gave sacrificially, and that's a matter of her heart. Guys, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, the Savior of the world, coming again. Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, said to his disciples, that's what I'm asking for, sacrificial giving. If it's a sacrifice for you to give a dollar a week, give the dollar. If it is not sacrificial for you to give a thousand a week because you could do much more, do more. Because what Jesus is saying is this, it's all a matter of your heart. And you say, well, Chuck, what happened to that 10% thing? You want to give 10%? Knock yourself out. But I believe when Jesus came to fulfill the law, he didn't put that as a ceiling or a floor. I believe what he said to all of us is, give out of a matter of your heart and give out of love for all that he is doing. You know what? God, in the greatest sense, doesn't need our money. He simply allows us to be a part of his redemptive work across this world. You say, well, Chuck, what does that really mean to Sugar Hill Church? Well, let me go through these real fast, and then we'll get out of here. Are you ready? Did you know in the past five years, I've been here five years now, in the past five years, we've added about 1,100 new members, that we've baptized over 500 new followers of Christ, that we packed more than 3,200 Operation Christmas Child boxes. We packed more than 42,000 backpacks. We're working in 11 public schools now. We've provided Christmas for 800 children in our community, provided 900 meal boxes through our co-op, been on 31 foreign mission trips. We've given almost a million dollars to local and global mission efforts, $100,000 to people in need for benevolence needs in our community, more than 120,000 meals dying to Haitian orphans. And you know what? That number ought to be a quarter of a million. Church has sponsored over 230 children through Compassion International. We fed and equipped more than 400 families in Kenya through Care for AIDS. Our work in Cuba a couple years ago, 21 churches came out of that. They still send me a monthly report from that. And those 21 churches have now planted 16 more churches. You, Sugar Hill Church, have 37 church plants in the communist country of Cuba. countless pounds of books to prisoners to encourage them to walk with Christ and for them to know Christ. So, and this year, I'm so excited. We, we're entering into a brand new partnership with PATH Project. 
about a mile from here is a, is a mobile home community, and, and there's about 340 families in it. And this next year, we will have bought a double-wide trailer next to their office, gutted it, cleaned it out, and created schoolroom space. And our local schools are helping us by giving us curriculum to equip you to help do after-school care and mentoring during the day with preschoolers, during the afternoons with elementary schools, with the late afternoon and evenings with middle and high schools, and be able to have day camps and programs all summer long for that community and inevitably plant a church in that park for those people. It took $25,000 to get into that ministry this year to assure that we could do that, and we didn't have it. But we had a member that called and said, I just had a great business deal. What would you like me direct this toward? I had no idea how much it was. And, and I said, how would you be so kind as to put it toward us being able to do this ministry in the community? What I had no idea was it was a $15,000 check. Almost within hours, Benj gets a call from the guy who's helping run this and direct this for us. And the owners of the park gave us 10 grand to go toward the rest of it because they know the difference it'll make in that community. And my God will provide all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You say, well, Chuck, what... What's all that about? All of that is about the fact that this church is not here to huddle up in this room and sing a little bit, pray a little bit, talk a little bit, and then go talk good or bad about it out there. We are here to make a dent in this universe and sugar hill in our community for the cause of Christ. And may we never stop being that church. We are not here to try to be the hippest, coolest, sharpest, biggest church on the planet. We are here to have the biggest heart of any church they could ever have on the planet so that the Lord might say, well done, good and faithful Sugar Hill Church. So if you've ever given a dime, that's a little weak, but okay. Thank you. If you've ever given a dime to this church, thank you. Thank you. If you've ever given clothes or food or something else, thank you. If, if you support a kid on the other side of the world, thank you. If you give her your time and you serve, thank you. Thanks for fulfilling your purpose. Thanks for being a church that just isn't willing to, to back up. And I, I, I want to ask you, please, in, in this next six or seven weeks, let's, let's, let's be found faithful. You say, Chuck, well, is there any magic in the 550? No, of course not. No. Well, is God going to strike us dead if we don't get it? No, I don't think. <laughs> but now, what I just described to you is why I believe God called me to be a part of this family to get us out of debt, to prepare us for the future, to end the cycle of poverty and a lack of education in our community, for people to hear the gospel every week, for people to respond to the gospel every week, to serve people who are in need. And I got to tell you, folks, we're doing that. But let's don't ever grow weary of doing right. Let's don't ever grow weary of doing good. Let us be found faithful. 
please join us. Help us do that. We'll send some emails and letters out to you to remind you, but we, we need you. Let's do this well. Father, we love you. God, I pray that the ears, the hearts, and the minds of these folks and folks watching online didn't hear us talk about money. And I, I pray, Lord, there was nothing manipulative and there's nothing pressurized around it. But, God, we would recognize that all these ministries are a matter of our heart. That's all they are. That what you wanted is our heart. You wanted our heart before you got our hands. You wanted our heart so that you'd have our life. You, you've made all this about our heart. So I pray our heart would bend toward you today. That folks even today would say, I want to be a part of that kind of Jesus. And they'd simply say, God, forgive me. Jesus, come live inside of me. Change me from the inside out. And I want to turn from living for me. I want to live for you. Thank you for dying for me and raising from the dead for me as payment for my sin. Lord, thank you that this, this church has decided that we're going to put a stake in the ground and we're not going to back up from serving our community in, in your name. And so today I pray we would uh, I pray we'd give, I pray we'd commit to serve, we'd worship, we'd pray like we never have. God, we thank you in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.